Amen. Thank you, Kathy and Melissa, for leading us in worship. Good morning, church. We are in the Gospel of Mark in our journey through the Gospel that we're calling Servant and Savior. And today we come to Mark chapter 11 as Jesus enters into Jerusalem for that last week of his life. And we're calling today Hosanna in the Highest. I wonder if you've ever attended a parade. How many of you have been to a parade? Been in the crowds along the parade route? Maybe some of you have even participated in a parade. Maybe you were in a band or some other group marching. Or maybe it was a large sporting event or a concert or some sort of a political rally. I want you to think of a big crowd. And our text today has Jesus entering Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of his culture the center of religion, the center of economy, really the center of Jesus' world because he is the new king. And so we might think of it as sort of a big inaugural day parade. Now, here in the United States, every four years when we have inauguration day parades, we like to have our president ride in a big black Cadillac with some flags flapping on the front corner of each of of the hood But in Jesus' day, long before the internal combustion engine, their equivalent of a Cadillac was a donkey. (laughs) And so this day, God's people have been praying earnestly. They've been praying for more than 100 years. They've been under the control of the evil Roman Empire. They have no king because the enemy Roman army who is occupying their country won't let them have a king. Instead... They have a Roman governor, and so the Jews are a puppet state, and they resent that. And they've been begging from God, God, your ancient prophets said a new king would come and free his people, and they longed for that. For example, in Zechariah chapter 14, it says that the deliverer would stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and that that's where he would appear from. And then it says in Zechariah chapter 9 that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so when Jesus, this prophet from up north, starts this two-mile inauguration day parade right into the heart of Jerusalem, where does he come riding from? Well, of course, from the Mount of Olives. And what is he riding on? Of course, on the back of a donkey. And so the crowds certainly don't miss that this is the moment. Nobody is unclear about the message as Jesus rides on that donkey through the streets of Jerusalem. The crowds believe that God has finally sent them the new king that they long for. It causes the people to take off their cloaks and lay them on the road so that even the hooves of the donkey carrying the new king would not have to touch the dirt. That's how excited the people are for Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Now, today we call this day Palm Sunday. And in order to to fully understand the significance of this day, it's important for us to grasp some background details. The Messiah, God's long-promised deliverer, would be enthroned as king in Jerusalem. The Old Testament makes it very clear that the coming king would do his main work right there in the city of David. 
Of course, Passover is about to begin. And this celebration, which was Israel's greatest feast, brought many spiritual pilgrims each year to Jerusalem and fueled the fires of messianic expectations. Some historians estimate that the population would have swelled from around 40,000 to over 250,000 people in the city for Passover. And it was during Passover that God's people, of course, rehearsed their deliverance from a foreign power. They looked back to all those years ago when their ancestors were delivered out of Egypt. And they had the expectation that God would do that again, deliver them from Rome. And so this yearly reminder helped the Israelites never forget that it was the blood of the Lamb that provided the deliverance. And then Pilate, who is the Roman governor, and his troops, they arrived in Jerusalem every Passover. Pilate didn't like living in Jerusalem. He generally scorned the Jewish people, and so he would stay at a seaport villa on the Mediterranean. He didn't want to be around the filthy Jews, and the Jews deeply resented his rule. But every Passover, he would parade in display his military muscle with his troops. The presence of all of that military would also send a message that no insurrection would be tolerated. And so it's safe to say that this day when Jesus rides on the back of a donkey into the streets of Jerusalem, that the crowds are filled with holy anticipation, but also a lot of anxiety. Kind of like our world today in some ways. Anticipation, and anxiety. And it's in these times, whether it's anticipation or anxiety, whether it's stress or whether it's security, that we, as Christ followers, are called to worship. And so this morning, let's consider this text. And and, and I want to consider our response by looking at the response of these ancient people to discover what it would look like for us to fully worship the Lord. And so our first step of worship is to trust. Trust the sovereignty of the Savior. That word sovereignty is one that sometimes we use in Christianity, but it's not always fully understood. When we say that the Savior is sovereign, we're saying that he has absolute right. He has might to do all things according to his own good will and pleasure. Everything's under his rule and control, which means nothing takes him by surprise. And as Christians, we understand that our Savior then is sovereign. Let's pick up our our story, our narrative in Mark 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. Now, already mentioned, it's no accident that Jesus timed his arrival to be at the beginning of Passover. Bethpage and Bethany refer to to two small villages, we might call them suburbs, near on the outskirts of Jerusalem, about eight miles on the outside of Jerusalem. In, In Bethany, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. They were close friends of Jesus, and he often used their home as a base of operations during his visits to Jerusalem especially this visit, the final visit, the final week of his life. And of course, they're on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, and that has tremendous significance. 
The Mount of Olives is where Jesus gave one of his last large-scale public teachings. It's where he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's where, after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven from the slopes of that mountain. According to Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, it says Jesus will arrive on the Mount of Olives at his second coming. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. And so it's from this significant spot that Jesus sends out two of his disciples with a very specific assignment. Let's continue in the text in verses 2 and 3. Jesus says, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back immediately. Let's just think for a moment about the sovereignty of the Savior and how everything is planned out, even in this little circumstance surrounding this donkey. What village to go to? The village in front of you. Where to go once you get there? Immediately as you enter it. What to look for? You will find a colt. What will the colt be doing? It will be tied. What kind of colt? One on which no one has ever sat. What to do? Untie it and bring it back. How to respond if you're questioned. The Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And so sure enough, when the disciples do what they're directed, by trusting in the sovereignty of the Savior, everything happens just the way Jesus said it would. And folks, that's true in our life as well. When we do things God's way, things happen the way he says they'll happen. But when we do it our way, often we get off track and things don't work out as well. Let's continue on in verses four through six. And so they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Jesus had all the details worked out, including the exact sequence. I find this encouraging, and I hope you do too. This story should help us to trust him. Trust him when he gives us an assignment. Trust him when we're going through some sort of affliction or hardship. You know, there are no surprises with God. He knew all about the colt, that it would be tied up. He knew that the, how the owners would respond, and so he told his disciples how to answer the question. This is a display of his omniscience, his sovereignty, his providence. This is the God that we serve today. But we must trust that he's in control. I don't want you to miss that the colt was one on which no one had ever sat. How cool is that? Here is an animal created for just one rider. No one but the Savior had ever sat on him. You know, in the Old Testament, when an animal was used for a sacred purpose, it had to be one that had not already been used for common purposes. And so how amazing that this donkey is ready for the sacred purpose of carrying the King of Kings 
into the city of Jerusalem. Here's another important point. When the disciples were sent to get that colt, Jesus was putting into place a very specific prophecy prophecy about who he was. In Zechariah chapter 9, which was written some 500 years before the time of Jesus, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous. And having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now remember that many were hoping that the Messiah would come, but they were hoping he would come with power to overthrow the Roman government. They longed for a warrior king who would come riding in on a a mighty war horse like King David did over a thousand years earlier when he defeated the Philistines. And so you can imagine the confusion in the minds of the disciples, in the minds of the crowd, when they heard their Messiah ask for a baby donkey. That's not a very mighty warrior type animal, is it? But we can trust him, folks. We can trust him because he has it all worked out. He knows what's going to happen. Our job is simply to take it one step of obedience at a time. Whatever he tells you to do, our role is to do it because he has it figured out. We just need to walk in faith. You know, many of us live in the present, but some of us are stuck, fearful of what the future might bring, and others of us are overwhelmed by the past. But let's think about our God. Our God is an ever-present help for trouble today, but aren't you also glad that he is also a God who has the future covered? And we can trust in that so we don't have to stress about the future. When I'm struggling with the problems of today, God is at work providing solutions for things that I'm already going to face tomorrow. He's working in situations right now that I maybe don't even have a clue about yet. He's preparing them for me and for you. Think about it this way. While I'm living here in Sunday, God's already in Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday. Are you worried about next week? He's already there. How about next year? He's got it covered. Since God is already in the future, we can trust him today and we can put our hope in him for tomorrow even if trials come our way. And guess what? They will. They will. Now, it would be enough if God simply walked with us through the events of this life. But he does so much more than that. He goes ahead of us, clearing the way arranging the details so that when we get there, we can have confidence that God has already been there before us. Knowing that God holds tomorrow in his hands should provide us with great comfort today. And so are you trusting in the Savior's sovereignty? Do you live and worship in the sovereignty of the great and mighty king. Well, then that leads us into a second way of worship. As Christ followers, we are called to give what's been given to us. Give what's been given to you. Look at verses 7 and 8. And so they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, 
and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. I want us to think about this little section of the story here. There are at least three gifts that are given that day. The first is the colt, the donkey itself. Matthew's account tells us that the colt was tied up with its mother. And the disciples are told to bring both of them. Maybe that's to help that young colt stay calm in the midst of the great crowds that are coming. The owners didn't question the disciples after they told, were told that the colt was for Christ. Maybe they, they'd heard of Jesus already and were happy to help. They gladly gave what was <clears throat> rightfully belonging to them, but they gave it to him. Because guess what? It belonged to him anyway. My guess is that they felt so much joy that Jesus would want to use something that was theirs. And that is the key to giving, isn't it? When we realize that everything we have has been given to us and that God is already the ultimate owner, then we move from getting all that we can get to giving all that we can give. We make that transition because it is a privilege to give what's been given to us. You know, it occurred to me that Jesus was born in a borrowed manger. He taught from a borrowed boat. He borrowed the, last, the, the upper room when he would have that last supper with his disciples. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And now he even borrows his final ride. And so the question to us is, what do we have that we can give to him? Actually, everything that we have is already borrowed from him. And if he wants something, it's his anyway, and so it should be our joy to give it back. By the way, I wanted to take a moment to look at that little phrase when, when their, their question about the, the, the donkey, and they're supposed to say, the Lord needs it. The Lord has need of it. That's back in verse 3. You know, in English, we'd call that an oxymoron. An oxymoron is where you have two words that really shouldn't go go together next to each other because they contradict each other. It's kind of like, uh, like jumbo shrimp, right? That's an oxymoron. Or fresh frozen. Which is it? Is it frozen or is it fresh? It's very confusing. Well, when they say the Lord has need of it, that is an oxymoron. How is it that the Lord, the owner of everything, who needs nothing, how is it that he has a need? In Psalm 50, the Lord says this, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. He has need of nothing. He is the Lord. And yet here, he needs it. He is the grand marshal of the parade. And yet he doesn't even own a car that he can use to ride in. Jesus has so humbled himself as the Lord, so emptied himself that he doesn't own the donkey that he needs. He actually is in need, even though he is the Lord. Well, this little donkey got to carry the son of David, the king of glory, into Jerusalem. And when Jesus comes into the city, no one notices the donkey, which is really how it's supposed to be, isn't it? 
Our job is to shine the spotlight on the Savior as we bring him with us wherever we go. Give what's been given to you. I want you to notice another gift here, and that is the cloaks. The people willingly took off their outer garments. The disciples used theirs to make a saddle, while others placed theirs on the road in front of Jesus. And the laying of the cloaks on the road would be like rolling out the red carpet for somebody today. But there's more to it than that even. This was a deeply symbolic act that represented their submission, their surrender. They were laying themselves under his feet. And so there's the gift of the donkey. There's the gift of the cloaks. And then there's a third gift in our little story here. The gift of the branches. John, in his recording of this day, tells us that they used palm branches. They likely would have brought those with them from Jericho. Jericho was known as the city of palms. This was a common way to welcome a victorious king who is returning from battle, the waving of palm fronds. In Judaism, palms represented peace and prosperity. But in addition, palms had a, a revolutionary and a nationalistic overtone. And so as they were waving the palm branches, as they were laying them out on the streets in front of Jesus, they were saying, this is our king. Palm branches were also a, a, a symbol of joy and victory. They would often place them on graves as a sign of eternal life. And since palm trees grew out in the desert near water, they indicated life-giving activity was very near. So by laying those palm branches on the road, the people were signifying that Jesus was the victorious king, the one who was bringing eternal life to those who had been wandering in the dry desert of life. The gift of the colt, the gift of the cloaks, the gift of the branches, they all point to who Jesus is. The colt was expensive. The cloaks were essential and the branches an expression of great joy. So let's just take a moment to make some personal application here. I want you to imagine that we are the people who happen to own that donkey, that brand new, never-ridden donkey. We're excited about it. And it turns out we get that request. The Lord needs it. Now, I was thinking about this. How would I react if somebody said, hey, I just saw that you got a new car. That's fantastic. It's so shiny. Can I take it for a spin? Hey, I just want to take it for a drive up the McKenzie for a few hours. I'll be back later this afternoon. And I'd be like, uh, no. No, you can't take my new car for a spin, right? But Jesus, who is Lord of all and ultimately in need of nothing, He's emptied himself, and now he comes to us. And he says, I'm riding into Jerusalem to die for you, and I need this. And so, friends, what is it? What is it that Jesus has been nudging you to make available to him? Is it your time? Is it your money? Is it taking some step of faith in some area of your life? Is it getting out of a place of comfort to take on a challenge? 
The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Maybe it's something where you would use your reputation or your influence for him. But it's possible that in in doing so, you would have your, your reputation or your influence in some way dismissed by others. Guess what? The Lord needs it. Is it, your, is it your worship? He is saying, open your heart to me. The Lord needs it. Is it some area of, of obedience in your life that you've not been living up to? The Lord needs it. Now, imagine what would happen if when the Lord Jesus comes to us and says, the Lord needs it. Imagine if we would release whatever it is that we have to him. Well, the good news is this. He will return it. You give him your worship, and he returns it to you with joy. You give him your obedience, and he returns it with righteous peace in the Holy Spirit. You give him anything, and he says, I'll give you many times as much in this life and the life to come, eternal life. That's what he offers to give to you. And so to fully worship, we must trust the sovereignty of the Savior. We must give what's been given to us. And finally, we must worship with all that we have. Worship with all that you have. Take a look at verse 9 in our text. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. The picture here is of antiphonal shouting, chanting. That means that those ahead were shouting and singing, and those at the back were responding with a refrain. The word for shout was was used of a raven crying out with a a loud, clamorous sound. If you've ever been to, say, Autzen Stadium or Research Stadium, and you know how they, they get those chants going, let's go, ducks, go, beavers, go whoever. And you know those big chants? That, that's what we're talking about here. That's the kind of chant that was going on. One group would shout the words found in the last part of verse 9. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That word Hosanna means save now. Save us now. It's actually a quotation from Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Psalm 118 is known as the salvation psalm. And then the very next phrase that is shouted also comes right out of that psalm from verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. To come in the Lord's name is to come in his authority and as his representative. And then the group at the back would have shouted back this phrase. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. The word highest refers to the most elevated, the loftiest position. In Psalm 71, it says, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the highest heavens. It's very similar to what the multitudes of angels declared in Luke chapter 2 at the birth of Jesus when they sang out, Glory to God in the highest. Worship with all you have. I want you to picture that crowd shouting out this psalm, answering back, cheering, chanting, praising Jesus as he rides in to Jerusalem. Worship with all that you have. 
You know, days before the Passover, a Jewish family would choose the lamb that they would sacrifice. Maybe it would come from their own flock. Maybe they would purchase it from a vendor. But they would select a special lamb that was to be their Passover lamb. They would bring that lamb to their home. And they would bring it into their home for that last week where they would treat it as a pet. It would sleep with them. It would be so cute and cuddly. Look at that. There they would have the lamb. And then on Friday evening, that lamb would be slaughtered, sacrificed, a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of that family. Friends, consider this. At the very time that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is heading in to Jerusalem to be sacrificed, people all over Israel are choosing their Passover lambs. And while he is being crucified, the sound of the bleeding lambs can be heard as they are sacrificed by the hundreds, by the thousands in the temple courts. Passover reminds us, it reminds us of that first deliverance from Egypt and how the Israelites were able to escape only if they applied the blood of the sacrifice to the doorposts of their house and then they were passed over when the angel of death arrived. Likewise, we too must have the blood of the lamb applied to our lives. What about you? Are you covered in the blood of the lamb? Is that a truth in your life? There's one more thing that Jesus does that day, and it's found in the last verse of our text today. In verse 11, it says, And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And so Jesus has this triumphal entry into the city. And then he goes to the temple and he takes a few moments to look around and he sees the beauty of these glorious buildings. He sees the ritualistic religion being carried out. He observes the desecration that has turned the temple into a den of robbers. But sadly, the king, the king entered the temple and the people were ignorant of his presence. They didn't know him. But when he comes again, when he comes again, no one will miss him. According to the promise recorded in Revelation 19, listen to these words. When Jesus comes again, he's not going to be riding on a baby donkey. But instead, he will be mounted on that white war horse. Listen to these words. Then, uh, this vision that the, the apostle John had. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine living, white and pure, were following him on white horses. 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Friends, we must trust the true sovereignty of the Savior. We must give what's been given to us. And we must worship with all that we have as we look ahead to his return. This is the reality that he has for us of which we must be prepared for. You know, I was thinking about the people that own that little donkey. You ever wonder what happened to that donkey? I I have a feeling that after that day, you know, those owners, they got their donkey back and, and then they would say, you see that donkey over there? I will never sell her. Because it was on the back of that donkey that the Messiah, the king, rode into Jerusalem. And I'm so glad that when the time came, I heard the words, the Lord needs it. And I let her go. And then she came back. Can you imagine that? Owning that donkey? And so the question I want to leave you with today is this. Is there something in your life where Jesus has been nudging you to make available to him? What's the donkey in your life that Jesus has need of? Whatever it is, release it. Let it go. Because he is Lord. And he needs it. He needs it. And we need to release it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this powerful reminder of worship. Lord, we are invited into your eternal family. We are your sons and daughters. And Father, all too often we get into our ruts and into our routines. Father, we are invested in our own preferences and our own ideals. And Father, we forget that we are called to worship you with all that we have. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage us this day to worship fully. Father, we pray that we would be people that would gladly release whatever we have that you call us to release so that we might worship you and honor your name as we look forward to your return. Father, we thank you that the blood of Jesus is available to wash away our sins, to purify us, so that we can be a part of your eternal family. Bless us this day, Father. Bless us this week as we look for opportunities to release things to serve you. It is in the name, the holy, the precious, the powerful name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to join me as we sing this final song. Kathy and Melissa lead us. Let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our souls. Because when we seek you, we find strength.